Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It's time for your favorite show. The Weekend Report is on the radio. Thank you, Perry Woods. And yes, indeed, the Weekend Report is on your radio. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us once again. My name is Tony Colombo in studio this week once again with producer Jake, who is filling in for producer Frank. Hey, hey. Great to see you. Thank you Great again. to see you. And, of course, my partner Chris Arps is connected once again through the Marvel of modern technology somewhere in the St. Louis metro area in a nondescript building that you could never find no matter how hard you looked. He's under 50 feet of concrete and steel. At his mom's house. At the Arms Compound. (laughs) (laughs) Good afternoon. How are you guys? I am well, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well. And Jake, you know, this is a joke, uh, inside joke between the three of us. I'm feeling fine. All right. Cool. cool, (laughs) cool. Let you guys uh, know that again. So we have a great show on tap for you. We are going to talk to our friend, uh, State Representative Nick Schroer here in a little bit, get an update on what's happening in the new uh, legislative. Well, it's not new anymore. The Missouri legislative session. Uh, And we're going to talk to our friend Burgess Owens, Chris. It's been too long since we have talked to the congressman, and I'm still getting used to calling him the congressman, but uh, it's going to be great to talk to Burgess. It is. It's been a while since we've talked to him. We'll get an update on what he's been doing in Congress and the plans that he has and uh, talk to him about uh, in October. He will be the speaker, keynote speaker at the St. Louis County Republican Central Committee Lincoln Day dinner. So we've got a lot of talk uh, catching up to do with uh, Congressman Owens. That's right. That's right. And there is plenty of news and politics and stories to catch up on nationally, locally, statewide, and all of that stuff. But we're going to start the show. Uh, Unfortunately, one of the biggest stories of the week was a very tragic one here in St. Louis. And Chris, I don't know if you know this, but I I have friends at KMOX now. I, oh, I know you're a big shot. Yeah, I have, yeah, I know people. All you guys at the DGS. I know, I know people at KOX. The Mighty Mox. So we were able to pull some strings and get some famous people to join us. And, um, and, and I wish it wasn't under these circumstances, but it is certainly great to welcome to the show Kevin Wheeler from KMOX, uh, joining us on the Weekend Report for the first time. Kevin, it's great to talk with you. Like I said, I wish it was under uh, better circumstances, but thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Yeah, glad to do it. Glad to do it. I mean, uh, obviously, you mentioned uh, the circumstances. Not fun, but also important, though, right, to tell the stories of guys like Bobby Plager and make sure everybody kind of 
I think, understands, you know, the impact that guy had, right? Yeah, for sure. So as this story unfolded this week, it was actually our third show on KMOX with the Dave Glover Show. So we are still, you know, trying to get used to this new studio and, you know, the new station, the new, you know, kind of the new clocks and how the whole thing works. And so we're still trying to find our sea legs. And then a story like this happens and unfolds right in the middle of our show. And it was, you know, we've, it's, it's, you know, you, you feel like, well, you tell stories because you, you knew Bobby Plager, you, everybody has stories, but it's not just everybody that like, is in the is in media or has covered the blues or covered sports it seems like every st louisan has a bobby plager story it's it, it's just incredible the amount of lives that he touched and, and it really was at the forefront uh, uh when he passed away this week it, the outpouring of of people telling stories and the grief that they felt and the loss that they felt uh, not only just in the Blues organization, but across the entire city. So, uh, just yeah. if, if you can get us, give us an update on if there is any update, or just you know, fill people in on the details of the Bobby Plager story if if they're not completely up to speed. Well, uh, unfortunately, yeah, as you mentioned on Wednesday, um, uh, I'm not sure exactly um, the order of events, but obviously he, he was he was uh, tragically killed in a in an accident on mm-hmm. Highway 40, mm-hmm. and you know. You're right. As that's happening, and I don't know, you know, it, it, this is being a sports story. You know, the way it kind of works is somehow, some way, those of us that are in the sports inner circle start to hear these things before they they make their way to the public, and you kind of you, you you hold back. You don't want to say anything until it's confirmed, and then you finally get the confirmation, and everybody's uh, obviously going forward with it. And you know, with, with with a guy like Bobby, the the thing that's so remarkable, and you I think you nailed it when you talked about um, how everybody feels like they know him and everybody feels like, and you know what? It's probably because most of them do. I mean, he was always out there in public. He, I, I mean, I never saw him shy away from contact with the public. And we're talking about, you know, going back to 1967, you know, when the blues came into existence, we're talking about him being a part of this organization and being a part of the city every, every day, basically since then. And, you know, from, from being at, you know, the games, being at the morning skates, all of that stuff. I mean, Bobby was always out there. And, you know, back in the day when we had the uh, the Blues on KMOX, so this was my first time through uh, on KMOX, which was uh, like late 06 until about 2013. And we used to do the Blues caravan shows every summer. So every, one night a week, we'd go out to a local sports bar and, you know, we'd have a Blues player as a guest or, you know, the head coach, maybe it was Ken Hitchcock. Um, and we always had at least one Bobby Plager day, but he would come out mm-hmm. for the game for the for the events, even if he wasn't scheduled to be there, um, just because he liked talking hockey and he liked being around the crowd and uh, liked being around you know the the guys you know, like Chris Kerber and and the other guys that were a part of not just the broadcast but of the team, and he was always just up front, right? I mean, like there was no shyness, there was no oh I'm, I'm getting overwhelmed by the attention. He had time for everybody. I mean, posing for selfies and you know, telling stories. And I mean, God, he was the best guy to have around because if you want to learn the history of this particular organization, this is a guy that's been there from the get-go. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, Kevin, Chris Arps. Um, I'm in my mid-50s. You know, I grew up in St. Louis. I wasn't born here, but I've been here since I was two years old. Um, I'm African-American, so I'm not a big hockey fan, but I do remember the Plager brothers. I know Bobby was very important 
to those of us that are not huge hockey fans, give us the equivalent of if someone in another sport here in St. Louis had an untimely passing that is kind of equivalent of their impact of what St. Louis felt about them. Wow. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, on the Cardinals side, we've had a few, but they weren't necessarily untimely. They were just, you know, they were guys that had gotten up there in years a little bit and had some illnesses. I can't remember any of the Cardinals legends where it was sudden like this, you know, it wasn't where it was unexpected. I mean, we lost Mm -hmm. uh, Gibeon Lou last year. Um, I I think maybe the the guy that he he most closely uh, resembles in terms of meaning to an organization, maybe Red Shandienst. Um, You know, Red was a part of the organization for like 60 years, you know, played, coached, managed, worked in the front office, you know, did, I mean, did all of those things and was around, I mean, like every day, even until the time where he passed away. So uh, I think that may be the comp there, you know, as far as what they mean to their organization and how that played out. You know, this may sound crazy to, and it would certainly sound crazy to anybody not in St. Louis, but I, I honestly feel a lot of similarities to when Stan Musial died. Only here in St. Louis because it seemed like every person that lived in St. Louis had as a Stan Musial story where they met him out yeah. somewhere in a restaurant yeah. or in an event or anything and how Stan always had time for them and talked to them and signed their autograph and, you know, just in, and spent time talking to everybody that they met. And Bob Plager, it, it, I feel like it's been that we've been telling all the same type of stories. Now, again, Bob Plager was not the hockey player that Stan Musial was as far as being a baseball player, but just as far as being uh, omnipresent around his team and in this community and the way that they embraced the community and embraced the fans of their teams and, and, and always had time for people. I know I I mean I know that stands on you know is a step above and on his own sort of level but I w- I've been surprised at all the similarities that I have personally felt yeah. when when we were talking as this week has gone on and we've been talking about the pa- passing of Bobby Plager as all the things all the stories and in all the conversations that we had when Stan passed away I really do feel that way that there are a lot of similarities I think you're right. I mean, and I think you, 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 you outlined it really well in that, you know, Bobby Plager is not the hockey equivalent of Stan Musial, no, no, right? But, no. <laughs> but what, he, what he was was, similar to Stan, a man of the community, a guy that was out and about, that was, you know, never reclusive, who was always great with the people that he met, and, you know, and was a great ambassador, right? I mean, Stan was that too. And I think the other similarity is they came to symbolize what their organization stood for. Right. I mean, like Mm -hmm. Stan was everything that people wanted in a Cardinals player, complete player, good guy, you know, I mean, like competitor, all of that stuff. And if you think of some of the most popular players in Blues history, they're kind of out of the Bobby Plager mold. Right. They're tough guys. They're grinders. They may not be. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, everybody has a place in their heart for Brett Hall. Right. Everybody has a place in their heart for Chris Pronger. I mean, and, and Al McInnes and all those great players. But if you think you're, think about some of the guys that have been the popular fan favorites that maybe weren't elite superstars before they came to St. Louis, you think of guys like to me like Kelly Chase, uh, even yeah. Camp Jansen more recently. Yeah. Um, a lot of that was a, a Plager identity, you know, not just Bobby but Barkley and Billy too. Yeah. And and you know that that hard nose. If you put your head down, we're going to lay you into the boards. We're going to bleed for the team. You know, I don't know if you guys have seen the 
the old video from 1972 of the Plager boys jumping into the crowd in Philadelphia <laughs> to to defend their coach Al Arbor, who was being harassed and essentially beaten up. And you know, the funny the, the first person up there leading the charge into the stands is goal number five. <laughs> that's right. And I think you know that that's the identity really of the of the franchise going back to the early days. It's such a great point. You know, as I think back over Blues history, when I was you know as I grew up with the team. Um, obviously you always had your superstars, your, you know, your yeah. Brett Hulls and, and Al McGinnis's, like you said, but it was the Bob Bassins and the Jeff Courtnalls yeah. and the Tyson Nashes that people yeah. that the, the team and the city just loved and everybody else hated <laughs> you know, like the guy, the team, the, the guys that you are so happy that you love to have them, but you hate, you hate them when they're on the other side. And, you know, there's just an endearing quality to that type of player because they don't have the God-given talents where they're above the, you know, above everybody else. They got to work really hard to get everything they get. And we can relate with that. And yeah. and then when somebody like that spends the time to, you know, to not only attach themselves to the organization, but to be so great with the fans and, and, and the public for decades and decades. I mean, it's just hard not to love a guy like Bobby Plager and not to feel the big empty space that somebody like yeah. that, that that leaves. We're talking to Kevin Wheeler from Camo X Sports. Kevin, we only have a couple minutes left. But before we let you go, we do we do talk a little sports on this show from time to time. Our executive producer, Frank Ladd, is a season ticket holder with the Cardinals. Obviously, he is looking forward to this new season. Um, we've talked about how there is going to be a limited number of fans, at least starting the season. Um, do you have a, a preview of the Cardinals season that's about to get underway and any update on the tickets? Do they know if they're going to eventually get to a point where they're going to have a full stadium? Or are they just really playing this thing by ear and taking one step at a time and being careful not to make too many promises about uh, opening things up? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that second part first. Uh, you know, you're right. It's going to be limited at first, uh, 32% capacity. So it's around 14,500 in that neighborhood. Uh, for opening day and I guess that's what it's set for April and beyond that I think it's all open to discussion and I know the team uh, and whether they whether it's going to happen or not I'm sure they have plans in place for the attend for the attendance to be able to increase gradually as the season goes along and look it's it's you know in, in most big cities this stuff is going to be determined by the numbers right it's going to be determined by you know the cases um, a number of people that are getting vaccinated all that and as all of those numbers look better you can bet that there are going to be more people in the stands. I, I would be shocked if you're not close to capacity by the end of the regular season, um, uh, you know, late summer or somewhere in there. I'd, I'd be floored if it's not mm-hmm. close to that uh, at that point. Um, as far as the team goes, they're really interesting. You know, they're not a, they're not a dynasty team. This isn't, you know, they're not constructed like the Dodgers currently are. I know the Padres have had a huge offseason, and they're very gifted. And um, uh, you know, those two are kind of viewed as the top two teams in the National League, and they're both in the West. But the Cardinals are viewed as one of the as one of the two best teams in the division, in the Central Division. And if they get a little more offense, and they should get more with Nolan Arenado, let's be honest. I mean, Arenado yeah. by himself upgrades the offense. But if they get a little more even beyond that, they have a chance to be really good because they're going to be a great defensive team and they're going to pitch. I mean, I, absolutely uh, no question in my mind. Even if it's bumpy early in the rotation with a couple of guys, they will pitch over the course of six months. And I think they got one of the best bullpens in baseball. 
Um, so you're, you should be looking at a playoff contender, and I, I think they'll be a playoff team in the end. I'm just not sure if it's going to be as smooth and easy as we'd all like it to be. It's Kevin Wheeler from KMOX Sports. Kevin, great to talk with you. Thank you again for joining us on the show. Like I said, I wish it was under better circumstances, but we'll have to have you back on again real soon uh, as uh, we go through this Cardinal season, and and hopefully it unfolds very successfully for the team in the city. Kev, uh, great talking with you. Yep, anytime, guys, anytime. You guys have a great weekend. You bet, you too. All right, let's go ahead and take this first break. When we get back, we will move away from sports and we will move into the world of politics. There's plenty to talk about. The president finally gave his first press conference this week. Uh, More and more stories of uh, coming out of Colorado and the tragic shooting there and uh, a whole lot more. Plenty to talk about. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Weekend Report on 97.1 FM Talk. FM Talk, Tony Colombo here with producer Jake and my partner Chris Arps. Big thank you again to Kevin Wheeler from KMOX Sports for joining us in the first segment to start off the show as we continue to cover the tragic loss, the tragic loss, excuse me, of Bobby Plager. And uh, great stuff, uh, great conversation there with Kevin. Also, a good preview of the upcoming Cardinals season. And uh, now we're going to shift away from sports and dive into the world of news and politics. Chris, the president, after, what, 64 days in office, finally held his first press conference. Uh, Did you watch it? What did you think? Yeah, I watched it with uh, eager anticipation, and it was pretty much what I expected. It was very scripted. Um, the president was well prepared you, we, with the questions um, that uh, he thought he was going to be asked. Um, it was just very alarming to see the president reading his answers from a binder, um, losing his train of thought right in the middle of a sentence. Um, he could see for a minute there that he got angry at a reporter for just asking him a basic follow-up question and kind of insulted the reporter. I am surprised that it lasted over an hour. I thought it'd be about uh, 30 minutes, but this was not a strong performance by the president. Um, I watched it on MSNBC, and uh, our former Senator Claire McCaskill is a contributor on that channel. And she said after the speech that the Republicans uh, set the bar really low for the president, and Joe Biden with his speech sailed right over it. Um, I don't know what speech Claire was watching, but that wasn't the speech, and that's not how I saw it. You know, quick sidebar, you mentioned MSNBC. I don't know if you saw the story about the ratings that came out earlier this week about how much without President Trump being around to be their uh, whipping post, uh, the ratings, particularly on MSNBC, but also on CNN, have plummeted. And and across their primetime shows – they have lost ratings since since the last week of the impeachment trial, since they were covering the last week of the impeachment trial, uh, their primetime shows have lost as much as 60 percent in the ratings. Joy Reid has been hit the hardest of any of them. But I, I think the I think the best case scenario I saw was one of their primetime shows that was only down 49 percent in the ratings. So without Donald Trump to 
pick on and to cover, it's like CNN and MSNBC don't know what to talk about. So anything they can do to draw comparisons or bring up the Trump name or dredge up anything about the Trump administration, they seem to be desperate to do. And instead of covering this this president and covering this press conference, all they want to do is try to draw comparisons to the Trump administration because they think that the, that's the only thing that their viewers want to hear or see. And they might be right. I mean, you did just say that ratings went down, right? I mean, like terribly there there it is then yeah. you know it's like I, I it's a weird comparison to make but as you're saying that it reminds me of a lot you remember when the walking dead was huge yep and everyone just dropped off that's because all their favorite characters died nobody was interested anymore <laughs> there you i go. think it might be a lot like that that's right like that's that right. might be simplifying the it a white little house bit is too the much. walking dead and trump and all of his uh people are the favorite are the favorite characters on the show and they've all been killed off yeah you have to wait so you have to wait nobody. one year to find out that trump was killed by negan <laughs> it's I, think infuriating. The, I think the, i think the media and the democrats are, tr- are substituting their trump coverage with this narrative that they keep fostering that white white right wing hate white hate groups are the biggest uh, national security risk that we have and they keep trying to foster that narrative especially after we have this shooting in Atlanta and Boulder where they jump to conclusions and when oh. they didn't fit the narrative then all of a sudden um, we turned to gun control only but they don't talk about who committed these crimes they don't talk about and the I, story at all anymore hardly yeah they don't talk about it at all so I think what they're substituting Trump to keep him in the news per se is to say that he is the one that is feeling uh, these these hate groups and this white ring, white ring uh, white I can't say it right wing white groups mm. uh, that are fostering uh, this this discord in the country and so that's how they're keeping Trump alive per se. Chris, does that play in the African American community or? Are many people getting tired? I mean, of, what do you mean, play what? Like, does does it get is is it does it work? Is it what is it getting the president and the Democrats a lot of support? Is it something that people are like, yes, these finally they are waking up and re, and there's a president that has realized that all the problems in the United States are because of racism. And finally, we're making it all about race. Like, is that something that is popular in in the African-American community and a segment of the African-American community? Because it doesn't seem like the unity message that he has been claiming to have when you continue to make everything about dividing the races and pitting Americans against each other. That's not how they see it, though, Tony. And I can't speak for the African-American community, but I think they see it as someone who is standing up to their grievances, that someone who is listening when they say that there's discrimination and voter fraud and and uh, all the rest. They see it as an ally. There's not someone who is pacifying them or or, uh, you know, something like that. So, no, they don't they don't see it that way at all. They've even made the. They've even made the filibuster debate all about race, and they're yeah. not even hiding it. Did you see the Al Sharpton stuff this week? No, I don't watch Al Sharpton, <laughs> but it's it, it's ironic to me that 
that they have the audacity to say that the filibuster is racist when, first of all, Democrats were the ones in the 40s and 50s that were stopping civil rights bills. And just recently, they were the ones who filibustered Senator Tim Scott's bill on criminal justice reform. And Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois had the uh, had the audacity to call uh, Senator uh, Senator uh, uh, Smith's bill, Scott's bill, a token, which you know he was really calling him a token mm-hmm. for the Republican Party. So th- th- their their hypocrisy is just blaring in that matter. And the filibuster is a tool that right. can be used to give the minority rights in in the Senate. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad, nefarious reasons, whatever. But the filibuster tool is not inherently racist. Exactly. That is exactly right. That's 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 the perfect way to put it. If I commit a crime with a knife and and or if somebody commits a crime with with a knife and they commit that crime because they don't like the uh, they don't like the color of the skin of the person that they are assaulting. That the, the person is a racist. The knife is not <laughs> racist. The knife is the is the tool that is being used. The filibuster is a tool that has been used by many people for many things, some good, some bad. But to say that the filibuster is itself racist is crazy. And going back to the president's press conference a reporter asked him about that he agreed with the reporter's assessment of he didn't joe biden didn't say the words that the filibuster is racist the reporter did and joe biden said that he agreed and then the al sharpton thing this week al sharpton came out and like i not even hiding it he was being interviewed by politico and al sharpton said quote the pressure that we are going to put on Cinema and Mansion, the two Democratic senators that seem to be in the way of of the Democrats' plan to eliminate the filibuster. So this is he's telling people he's he's bra- bragging, boasting about their plan to make Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin change their votes to eliminate the filibuster. Al Sharpton says the pressure that we're going to put on Cinema and Manchin is calling the filibuster and say that they are in fact are calling the filibuster a, a a tool of racism and say that they are in effect supporting racism if they support the filibuster. That's crazy, and the fact that he's just saying it in such bold terms, just. Saying flat out, this is what we're going to do. We're going to tell Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin that the filibuster is racist, and if they don't vote to get rid of it, that they, in effect, are supporting racism. Look, Tony Abraham Lincoln said it, but he got it from the Bible: "A house divided cannot stand." And even seeing Democratic activists attacking two of their own moderate senators like that, I don't think it's going to sit well with some of their Democratic Senate colleagues, and they're not going to like that at all. And I think you're just going to see a further and further divisions within the Democratic Party. Look what you just had, what you just had the other day. You had the two Asian senators, uh, Maisie Arono and Senator Duckworth from Illinois, from Illinois, threatening to block all of Joe Biden's uh, Senate appointees if they weren't if there weren't more Asian American Pacific Islanders being appointed to positions. So I think what we're seeing, you won't see the Democrat, you won't see the media really reported. But you're seeing a lot of undercurrent within the Democratic Party of a crack up and a breakup and division. A couple other things that came out of the press conference. The uh, president at one point said that most immigrants are being uh, at, at the border are being sent back 
Um, but reports show that only about 13% are actually sent back. No follow-up uh, after that statement. Remember when Trump was president? And if, if, <laughs> if that was his case, they'd be saying that was a lie and the president is a liar. And that's lie number 237. Remember those days? Yes. Yes. He said that <laughs> he said that the majority of Republican voters support him. Polls show that it's more like 10 percent. No, once again, no follow up. People have tried to twist that and say, well, no, he may, he was talking about one specific issue. He wasn't saying it uh, in a broad sense. Well, he, but he did say it in a broad sense. He maybe he meant that. I don't know. But if he, I, that's what he meant, then that's what he needs to say. I'm going to tell you this, Tony. No follow-up on that one don't, either. Don't be surprised in the next few weeks, coming months, that Joe Biden's China deal um, and, and uh, Hunter Biden, all that stuff that they tried to suppress before the uh, before the election, don't be surprised if the, if the press all of a sudden starts getting real curious and starts uh, opening that back up. Because they see after yesterday's performance that this guy's two months in and can't do a a press conference live without binders and reading the question, reading um, his answers. They know they got to get him out of there. And I predicted on my Facebook page last week, I think that Kamala Harris will be president by Labor Day. Mm. Why, Chris, for people that don't watch a lot of news and politics and aren't aren't into it like you and I are. Why is the fact that the president had notes such have been such a big deal? Well, because usually when you see these press conferences, and I said this also yesterday, man, I've been watching presidential press conferences since Richard Nixon when I was six, seven years old. I've just always been interested in politics. I have never in my life seen a president take at a press conference um, with reporters um, reading his answers. I can see they may have notes. Um, you know, on the topics to help him with with his answer. But Joe Biden was literally was literally when yeah. he was talking about foreign affairs and Korea and all that. He was literally reading off the points with China and his foreign yeah. policy. He was literally reading. He was reading um, his, his answer off the binder. I have never seen that in my 40 plus five plus years of yeah. watching politics, anything like that. This is the way that I like to explain it. It, you know, people may people may say, well, you know, there's a whole lot of issues that the president could be asked about. Of course, he's going to have notes in front of him. And, but that, that's this is the president's job. There's a whole lot of things that happen in radio behind the scenes in radio and, you know, the way that radio stations work. If I were to go up in front of a group of people not knowing what they're going to ask me, but know that they're going to ask me about my job. I don't need a notebook. And, and Tony, not only is it, is it his job, Joe Biden has been in the Senate yes. and, and in office for 50 years. Yes. He should know this stuff like he knows yes. his phone number. He should have his – he should be able to talk about foreign policy. He and was chairman border. of the Foreign Relations Committee yes. in the Senate. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That is why it's such a big deal <laughs> that he seemingly didn't know – the answers didn't didn't have answers without being able to go to that notebook. It's and interesting that read people are them. You know, give him so much trouble about the notebook, but like it's also like a lot of the same people that are calling, like saying he has dementia and stuff. 
Well, so, is it, so isn't that kind of like contradictory? Like, if the, if he does have memory issues, wouldn't it be good for him to have notes? Well, if it was, if he has but memory that's issues, not issues though, a, like, Jake, politics it, ignorant it, Jake, guy. Yeah, Jake, yeah. it's not the issue that he has memory issues. The, sure. me, the issue is that he has dementia, and they won't tell the American people that this man yeah. is is suffering, and they're just propping him up and giving him scripted events to make it seem like everything's normal. Yeah. that's alarming. This yeah. guy has the codes to, to the nuclear code. Yeah, it's not good if. For the president and then it the makes United you States wonder who the hell is running issues. the White House. Yeah. Who's in tr- who's really in charge? I uh, got to take a break. Just a couple of minutes. I did want to get to this one real quick with you, Chris. Uh, after you announced for him on this show a couple weeks ago, Eric Schmidt made it official. The Missouri uh, attorney general made it official that he is running for the United States Senate for the seat that will be vacated by Roy Blunt. So now. Uh, it's Eric Schmidt and it's Eric Greitens. Seem to be the clear top two front runners for that Senate seat. Clash of the Eric's. What are your thoughts on uh, the announcement <laughs> after you essentially announced for him uh, on this show two weeks ago? Uh, now that's official, what do you think? Well, Tony, as a political strategist operative, I would like to take credit for urging the senator to get in the race, <laughs> but uh, or the uh, AG to get in the race. But I think he was already leaning that way. And when Eric Greitens uh, made his announcement, then it was almost a given that he would get in real soon. I think he has to be probably the the uh, front runner. Um, people are going to be criticizing him. I think one of the one of the kinks in his armor is they're going to say he's a fast riser. You know, look where you've gone in just three years. But I think sometimes when just circumstances present themselves in such a way that uh, you have to go for it. And I think most people will not hold him uh, hold him uh, uh, to account to that. All right. We are going to continue this conversation and uh, get into some other statewide and local stories. When we get back, we are going to talk to Nick Schroer uh, from the uh, the state representative and have more. We can report. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to 97.1 FM Talk. And welcome back to the Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. Tony Colombo here with producer Jake and my partner Chris Arps. We are trying to make a connection with State Representative Nick Schroer, who is currently a very, very busy man. So uh, no sure. we'll see if we can get a hold of him. Big timing? Yeah, well, you know, he's big time. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see if we can make connection with, uh, with uh, the representative and maybe talk to him in the next hour. Uh, a few minutes to go here in hour number one. Chris, you know, I like Tony. to use the end of the hour short segments to... Get a little bit, you know, get a little weird sometimes, maybe a little lighter sometimes. Uh, yeah, it's time to get weird, Jake. That's right. That's that's how it's no, going to work. you've been getting weird. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> off the air. Off the, it's, air. off the air has been very weird. That's that's a fact. Um, the UFO report that is going to be coming out from the Pentagon, which was very – the whole reason for this report is very fascinating and sneaky and awesome – uh, Donald Trump baked into one of his last bills 
uh, I think it was a relief. I think it was one of the relief packages that the Pentagon had to release a report about what they knew about UFOs by a certain date. And it was just kind of shoved in to legislation that was already going through. I mean, mm-hmm. we're great. used to that. We're used to pork, but this is the most interesting piece of pork I've ever seen. It's the greatest political thing to ever happen. It really it's is. the best political scam, making the Pentagon tell us about aliens. So now, now so this report's going to come out in a couple months, and former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, was being interviewed earlier this week. And he was talking about this report that is coming off, that is coming up. And he says that there are many videos and a lot of evidence that has not been made public that will be made public. Already the Navy and the government have identified and admitted to these videos we've talked about on the show in the past. You have Mm -hmm. a very fascinating theory about these videos that I actually love, Chris. Um, which we can it's talk no about theory, here. Tony. Yeah, we can talk about that that in a second. <laughs> but what we do know is that the United States government is not hiding the fact that they have these videos and this evidence that there are objects that we have observed on Earth that they have no explanation for, and really the only two explanations are they are man-made something that. The United States can't explain, doesn't have the technology to explain, and even, in John Ratcliffe's words, seem to defy science. So either Russia or China or somebody has some technology that is so above and beyond what we have that we can't even explain it. That doesn't sound that possible, or it's something not of this world. It really has to be one of those two things. And with all of this other, with, with this report on the way, um, he said, John Ratcliffe said the report will show uh, that these aircrafts use technology that we're unaware of and seem to defy science. Uh, for example, they're able to go the speed of sound without creating a sonic boom. Uh, he's called the evidence, he called the, the videos and the evidence that the Pentagon has difficult to explain, in quotes. That's and again, that is the former director of national intelligence. That's not the ghost hunter show on Discovery Channel. You know what I mean? So yeah. what do you are? I mean, I'm, if, if we if if there are UFOs, that's the biggest story in the history of man. And the fact that this could be right around the corner is incredible. But it's also very interesting that it's not getting very much attention. What do you make of the entire report, John Ratcliffe's interview this week? And also, I don't think Jake or maybe some of the – it's been a while since we've talked about this. Tell people you know, what your thoughts on all this are. Look, I think the fact that the Pentagon is releasing this information shows me that they don't have anything that would really frighten the public at large and thinking that we're going to be invaded and that these are real. I think there are such things as, uh, as life. Um, from out of this world, but I don't think it's beings from another galaxy or from other planets. I think when these uh, Air Force uh, pilots or a pilot sees objects that seems to be defying gravity and and defying the science that we have today, I think that these objects are angels. Uh, I'm a strong Christian. I believe in the Bible, and the Bible tells us that there are uh, there's another dimension of beings 
that uh, that encircle us and encircle the world and watch over us. And I believe that these beings are uh, are angels. That's what they're seeing. Angels are as good of a answer as anything <laughs> else. So I don't know why it couldn't be that. Um, I do find that fascinating. Jake, are you into the paranormal, I, into UFOs? You- I, I am. Um, I was raised Catholic. I'm not super religious anymore, but I'm very familiar with uh, the teachings and traditions and especially the stuff about angels. But also, every I, I've looked into every major religion, the smaller ones. I like seeing what their supernatural phenomena are, the history of how they came to be, and then mm-hmm. just regular paranormal stuff, too. So I, I think this Pentagon thing is going to be really underwhelming. I bet you the UFO, the unidentified flying object, is going to be some college kid's frisbee that he broke and didn't look like a frisbee <laughs> while it was flying by. You know, it's. it's I pr- disagree. It's probably not going to be that great. But back to what you were saying. And I think it's, it's going to be more videos of I the Tic Tac from Jake, the Navy, midi- from the from the uh, fighter pilots. I think it's going to be more of that stuff. Yeah, and then it could also be because you mentioned that maybe another country just has better technology than us that we don't know about yet. But why are we ruling out like? Maybe someone in this country is just really wicked smart. Maybe we have a Tony Stark on our hands, like developing his own stuff and testing it, and he can't get permission because he doesn't want anyone to know about it. It, I bet you it's Elon Musk. Maybe it's Elon Musk. I bet you the whole report is just a picture of Musk. (laughs) Hey, uh, this is it's interesting because uh, Jake is eighteen. What? Uh, Chris is is <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Chris is is ninety two yeah. years old, and I'm you know twenty six. So uh, we were all over the place. <laughs> None of those ages are even close to true, except for yours, but, Tony. But, except for yours, boss. For yours. But I do want to. Uh, I wish I was twenty six. Um, so I I do find this interesting. What generation is would be more uh, accepting of and less? I feel like the younger generation, if we found out that there were aliens, it would be a big deal to them, but it wouldn't be life-changing. What? Uh, no, am I wrong? If, it, would if, it be? If we found out that there was actual alien life. If there was life, evidence that there was that, that were there were alien life, I feel like the young people would be way more accepting of that. I feel like it would, it would oh, for, okay. you for it sound like older it generation, be, yeah. I feel like it would, it would, it may rattle some people's, like, belief structure that it would that it would it would it would make them question everything they've ever known in life and i feel like it wouldn't have as strong sure. of an impact on young people i don't think I, I, am i wrong am, am, no i don't i don't think you're wrong at all i think that especially my generation like the weird spot between millennials and gen z and then millennials and gen z too there were a lot more accepting of just that crazy stuff and we were exposed to like i i hate to say it but like movies and stuff and it mm-hmm. got every it got the whole world, but especially the millennials generation and then a little bit of the Gen Zers too when they're on TikTok or whatever. But um, <laughs> there, there's interest in that. We talk about that. Yeah. Like, could the Avengers happen? What are wormholes? There are very, very renowned scientists that are working on the theories of how any of this could be possible. Right. What do you and, think, Chris? Do you, what do you, do you think that, uh, that, the, that the older generation would have a much harder time with it? I don't know. That's an interesting question. I think the older generation has been exposed to the possibilities of um, extraterrestrial life longer than the uh, oh, yeah. younger generation, That's and maybe point. we'd be more accepting of it. 
you know, I used to watch, you know, space programs in the 70s and and uh, Lost in Space in the 60s. When that was on, I wasn't watching it in the 60s, but it was a show in the 60s. And the old Buck Rogers uh, cartoons and serials. So they've been exposed to it. We've been exposed to it longer. And maybe um, that would make us more accepting of what it. I don't, of what I don't accept is the people that say that uh, religious people will have their entire belief system rocked. We've talked to people like Gabe Pfeiffer, who is a scientist and an extreme uh, believer in his religion, who has said that, yeah, if there are aliens out there, it doesn't it doesn't change the way I feel about my God or no. what he. So uh, sometimes I think that that uh, that that kind yeah. of thought process That's gets wouldn't, overblown wouldn't for me. Either. We can yeah. all agree, though, it would like blow everybody's minds. <laughs> yeah. But it all yeah. depends on like hey, how intense the info is it's you happening know? in two months. All right, we got to take a quick break. We got an entire second hour of the weekend report. In that hour, we're going to talk to Congressman Burgess Owens. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to 97.1 FM Talk. It's time for your favorite show. The Weekend Report is on the radio. Thank you, Perry Woods, and it is in hour number two of the Weekend Report. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Tony Colombo in studio with producer Jake, who is in for Frank this week, and of course my partner Chris Arps. If you missed anything from that first hour, it was a great first hour. We talked about aliens, we talked about the president, we talked about sports, and so much more. Uh, Kevin Wheeler from KMOX Sports actually joined us at the beginning of that first hour. If you missed any of it, you can check out our podcast. We put out the Weekend Report podcast just about anywhere you get podcasts. You can find it. I would recommend the Radio.com app because the Radio.com app is basically one-stop shopping for everything uh, on this radio station. You can download the podcast of this show and every other show on the station uh, with the Radio.com app. You can rewind live radio while you're streaming the station 24-7 with the Radio.com app. And the Radio.com app is free. So it's a great way to uh, keep up with this show and a great little tool to have when you are listening to 97.1 FM Talk. Coming up in this hour, in the next segment of this hour, we are going to talk to our good friend Burgess Owens, United States Congressman Burgess Owens. Uh, Chris, I can't wait to talk to Burgess. I always feel a little bit better about life. It always, it, I, my soul always feels a little bit better when we talk to Burgess. Uh, it is great to know that, um, you know. You used uh, to say uh, that about me, Tony. I still say that about you, buddy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't say it about Jake, but I do say it about you. That's okay. I I don't really have my spiritual masseuse license. Yeah, my soul has a different (laughs) feeling after I talk to Jake. Um, But uh, uh, it's going to be super interesting to talk to Burgess. We've talked to him since he's since he's been in Congress, but not he was last time we talked to him. He was just getting started. And now there's there's a couple months under his belt, and he's probably been to some committee meetings and has some experience. And I'm really looking forward to talking to Burgess about what day-to-day life in the United States Congress in this uh, atmosphere, this climate that we live in, um, Nancy Pelosi being the Speaker of the House, what that what it's like working in in that in that capacity. Uh, I got a lot, lots of things I'm looking forward to talking to Burgess about. Yeah, and I'd like to ask him about his experience on uh, January 6th. 
Um, what was that like, oh. uh, being a freshman congressman and, you know, those people are coming to, uh, to the Congress? We talked to him? Have we yeah, not I don't talked think to we him talked since to January him since 6th? Would, now, wait a minute. Now, let me get... Would... Um, we're all we're the new we're we're on January sixth. Were the new Congress people already in? They wouldn't have been there yet because that was before that's the inauguration. Right, that's right. I'm, yeah, that yeah. was before the inauguration. So Burgess wouldn't have been in the building uh, at that point. But yeah, but it has been it has been a very long time since we have talked to Burgess, and I'm I'm very much. Uh, looking forward to that conversation. So we touched in the last hour, we were talking about the president's um, press conference and we were talking about the filibuster. And in and it seems like this week the Democrats have refocused on some of the big issues that were uh, a part of the campaign, some of the very contentious issues that were a part of the campaign like the filibuster, which we already talked about, but also this week, Democrats touched again and the president touched again on things like the Supreme Court and making Washington, D.C. a state. Uh, Chris, how far away do you think we are from pieces of legislation about the Supreme Court and D.C. statehood, possibly Puerto Rico statehood? It seems like it seems like they're they are uh, priming the engine once again the, the the Democrats in D.C. for these issues. Filibuster is in full swing. The the attack on the filibuster is underway. How long until these other issues are officially underway as well? Tony, I think that depends on West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin and Arizona Senator Kristen Sinema. They are the two people that are blocking the Democrats from uh, eliminating the filibuster and being able to do some of the things that you've talked about. I think part of their legislative strategy to remake America, as they said, when it comes to H.R. 1, which is a voting bill, when it comes to this extraordinary $5 trillion infrastructure bill, um, there's also a reauthorization of the voting rights bill. What they're going to try to say is the Denver, the Republicans are stopping that important legislation in the in the Senate. And so in order to pass all three of those things and other legislation, it's imperative that they get rid of the filibuster. And they're going to point to this legislation that's being blocked in effect by the Senate uh, Republicans as the reason why they need to do that. How do you feel about Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin? They have said over and over again, particularly Joe Manchin. But you know what? Honestly, Christian Cinema also uh, have said over and over again that they will not vote to eliminate the filibuster. Uh, n- n- no, n- nothing any politician says ever gives me comfort. Um, so just because they've said it over and over again doesn't mean that they couldn't flip. Uh, how do you feel? How confident are you in those two senators and their um, ability to stick to their word. Look, Joe Manchin is supposed to be the so-called moderate, but if you look at his voting record, um, he has never been the deciding vote on uh, when it comes to something that the Republicans need. He votes with the Republicans when they don't need his vote. Um, he has gone back a little bit on his statement about the filibuster. Now he's talking about reforming it with a talking filibuster. So. 
who knows where he is. Kristen Cinema seems to be a little bit uh, steadfast in her position. But as we talked about earlier in the show, you know, Al, Al Sharpton and yeah. the rest of the uh, the poverty pimps, they're going to be putting extreme pressure on uh, those two senators to uh, eliminate the filibuster. So it's all who knows right now. So I, that's exactly what I was where I was going with this. We mentioned in the last hour that Al Sharpton um, in an interview with Politico was very open about the strategy to try to get Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema to change their mind on the filibuster. He said that the strategy is to continue to tie the filibuster to racism and apply pressure to Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema and tell those two senators that by supporting the filibuster, they are supporting racism. This is what Al Sharpton said. I'm not yeah. I'm not theorizing this. It was an interview with Politico. He, this is what he said he's going to do. The plan is to continue to keep applying the the idea that the filibuster is racist and and therefore make Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema tell them that they are supporting racism if they don't eliminate the filibuster. How powerful in your in your opinion, Chris, is that strategy? Is 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 that something that Joe that just because Al Sharpton says it, it must be true, and we can't let Al Sharpton uh, uh, brand us uh, uh, racist, so we've got to cave. How powerful is the strategy and Al Sharpton's influence when he puts his mind to it and, and, and acts a plan like this? Well, it can be very powerful unless the Republicans fight back. Um, they have to point out that just last year, uh, Democratic senators were filibustering an African-American senator's criminal justice bill. They have to go back and remind voters that it was a Democratic Party with Strom Thurmond and other Dixiecrats in the 50s that were filibustering civil rights bills. So I think they have to shove this back in their face and show the American people just exactly what this is, um, a cheap tactic to get what they want, and hopefully that will uh, make a difference. I want to move to some local issues in, in just a second, but one, one more national issue that I want to touch on uh, with you, and we'll probably get back into some more national issues when we're talking to Burgess Owens in the next segment. Uh, but one more moment up from Biden's press conference that we haven't talked about yet was when he said, I think for the first time to a reporter that I the first time that I can remember, at least that he does indeed plan on running for reelection. Um, what did you think about that exchange? And what do you think? You you said earlier this hour, and you have said in in uh, other uh, uh, forms this week uh, that you don't think Joe Biden's going to make it through the year, let alone to another um, <laughs> another uh, entire election season. Uh, what did you think about what the, when the president said that he does indeed plan on running for re-election? Yeah, we all know that President Joe Biden is not running for re-election. As I said earlier in the show, um, I don't think he's going to last past, last past Labor Day. But, uh. um, what I saw from the reporter's questions was she kind of backed him into a corner where he almost had to say, yes, I'm running for office. So I don't put a lot of stock into it. If you just look at his performance from the other day, there is no way that this man at 82 years old uh, could still function and perform his duties as president of the United States. How soon does he almost have to make that announcement? We know 
the, again, this is kind of an inside baseball thing, but people within politics that are familiar with how these things work know that even an existing president puts together a reelection campaign and there is a team and there's, uh, you know, a, 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 a whole structure in place years ahead of time, even for a sitting president. There's already a, uh, a an election team that's a re-election t- team that's already put together. Yeah, Biden. and that re-election team is put together for President Kamala Harris. So, but but it, <laughs> they it, knew they Biden knew that going in. He yeah. wasn't going to finish. Well, Biden hasn't put together his yet. How long really can he go without creating that team uh, before people re- really start to ask the question and wonder, well, like, well, you're not you, you're not. You're not doing anything to indicate you're running. Donald Trump set the precedent with with setting these uh, saying that he's running for re-election in the first term of his president. In normal other times, a president is not asked about re-election until like third year into his term. So that's really something that's just uh, not ordinary. Um, to be asked, are you going to run for election and you're just into your first term? That's something that Donald Trump, a trend that Donald Trump started. I thought it was always around the midterms that, you know, once you got to that midterm election season in a president's first uh, term, that that's when the the questions and the building towards the next campaign always started. So second, third year. Yeah. Yeah. So at least a couple at least a couple years uh, down the road. Um Want to move to uh, some local stuff back into the mayoral campaign. There was a debate this week between Tashar Jones and Kara Spencer. We actually even had a chance to talk to both of those candidates on the Dave Glover show over on X earlier this week. Um, did you have you watched? Did you watch any of that debate? Have you listened to any of the discussions between uh, Alderwoman Spencer and uh, Treasurer Jones? And do you have any thoughts? about this uh, this race as it shapes up and we get closer and closer to Election Day? No, of course not. I haven't watched any of it. I don't live in the city. Um, you've got one socialist that's battling another socialist. Um, this is really a race to see who is going to reign over the decline of St. Louis. Um, St. Louis is dying if you compare it to other cities. Um, we are not known for our beer and our baseball team and our hockey team and the other great things in the city anymore. We're known for the ridiculous and uh, crime rate that we have. And we have Tashar Jones, who's probably going to be the next mayor. Um, she wants to be a social worker instead of being the mayor, along with Kim Gardner. So the criminals and the thugs in the city are going to think that it's free reign for them because they know that these two, who are supposed to be uh, working in concert with the police and the criminal justice system, do not. They're in, they're in opposite terms with them. So... I'm afraid for the future St. Louis um, when uh, Tashar Jones is is uh, is uh, sworn in. It's not anything personal. I know her personal, but just her policies are just so radical that I fear for the future of the city. Well, Chris, we talked about this in the first hour on a national level about how many politicians, particularly on the left, are trying to make every single issue about race, no matter what the discussion is. It, it it always boils down to race and 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 seemingly in my opinion I feel like it, 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 it they're just it's continued 
attempt to divide us and, and pit people against each other. And I feel like that same message is happening on the on the local level and that every, and that every conversation about the city of St. Louis that we have, no matter what the topic is, it it keeps getting brought back to race. And I just there's plenty of there's a lot of there look, race issues are real and they need to be addressed and we they need to be talked about openly. But it's not it's not the basis of every issue that faces a country or a city. And I just don't understand this continued focus on it. Do you feel the same way I do or am I misreading it? Well, I mean, St. Louis City is a progressive, democratic city, and that's what they focus on is race. They think somehow uh, focusing on race um, highlights our diversity and brings us together when actually all it does is rip us apart. And you see that happening within the Democratic Party today. You just see the infighting among a group of constituents who really don't have anything in common except that they feel oppressed and victimized. And what you have eventually is they start eating each other and trying to decide on who is the worst victim, who's been oppressed the most. And uh, in the long run, it's just not that's a sustainable philosophy. All right, we need to take another quick break, and when we get back, we are going to talk to our old friend, the congressman out of the great state of Utah. You don't even mention he's a Super Bowl champion anymore. Super Bowl champion, best-selling author, (laughs) and uh, you know what, Uh, Chris, before we go to break, um, I want to give you an opportunity to quickly, uh, we mentioned in this segment, uh, promote a couple of of the things that you are working on, articles. Uh, you're very famous now. Television show. Only fans. Uh, I am. Yeah, he's <laughs> only fans. That's great. Uh, where can people uh, where can people keep up with everything that you're working on? Well, they can catch up with me on ChristopherArps.com. Tony, on Wednesdays, I do Wake Up uh, America with Rob Trinity on Newsmax at 5.30, 6 and 7. We I do a panel where we talk about the political issues of the day. And I write a couple of times a week for RedState.com. My latest column was about the Asian shootings down in Atlanta. And I talk about how the Democratic Party is trying to turn uh, Asians into victims like they have the black community, the Hispanic community, the LGBTQ community, and other uh, communities that feel they're oppressed. Um, Now they're setting their sights on the Asian community. You can read Chris Arbs every week on RedState.org. You can dot com. dot com. Did I say org? You can yes, read. Here, let's let's hear it. Three, two. You can read Chris Arps every week on redstate.com. You can hear Chris Arps every week on 97.1 FM Talk and the Weekend Report. And you can see Chris Arps every week on national television on Newsmax TV on Wednesday That's mornings. That's scary, isn't it? You, my friend, are everywhere. You That's are right. You are almost as famous as. Congressman Burgess Owens, the Super Bowl champion, who we will talk to next. Don't go anywhere. See how I did all that? See how I tied all that together? Take notes, Jake. That's how you do it. No? You're not taking notes. I'll be back in a second.
Welcome back to the Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. Tony Colombo here with producer Jake and my partner Chris Arps. And Chris, just now there in the break before we went back on the air, we had a chance to say hello to Burgess Owens, and uh, it was just great to hear his voice, and I'm so yep. excited to be talking to the congressman once again. Super Bowl champion, best-selling author, and now United States congressman from the great state of Utah, our friend Burgess Owens, is back on the weekend report. Burgess, Mr. Congressman, great to great to talk with you, my friend. How are you? Burgess works fine with me. Believe me, no, I'm doing great, guys, and I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys once again. Absolutely. So it's been a it's been a couple months. People that have listened to the Weekend Report for hopefully years and years, you know, know that you have been with us many, many times. It's been uh, so. Uh, it's been a privilege to watch this this whole process unfold as you have gone from uh you know your super bowl career to the to the books and your incredible story of being on the top and then being on the bottom and then pulling your way back to the top and now uh being elected to congress um in these last couple of months as you have uh, maybe gotten your sea legs and yeah. and you know and, and figure it out how this whole thing works now that you are a member of uh, the United States House. Uh, can you just from a? We'll get into some. We'll get into the specifics of issues here in a minute. But just yep. kind of uh, tell us about how this process, this learning uh, about the United States Congress, has gone for you. Well, you know, it is obviously this is a very, very different uh, year. Uh, I don't think we've ever experienced anything like this. Uh, and I'm just so thankful to go back to the football analogy. I'm so thankful to be on the field instead of the sideline mm-hmm. because. Uh, we can kind of see the inner workings, and and and, and I'll be honest with you guys, I, I have more faith in miracle people now than ever before, uh, because again, and we've talked about this a little bit. You know, I, I know my history, I know that we do the right things at the right time for the right reasons, and uh, what the American people did collectively is we we uh, we flipped 15 seats. Uh, we have 15 seats that flipped. We didn't lose any of our incumbents, uh, so we have literally the closest margin since uh, I think World War II. And wh- what does that what does that really mean to us? It means that even though we've lost the House, the the, uh, the Senate, and, and the executive branch, we have the closest margin that we've had in decades. So what what, what it's going to come down to is very simple: is uh, we're going to have a chance to see contrast. Number one, we have a chance as American people to see this uh, this ideology that we've been talking about for so, so long, this ideology of Marxism and, and socialism. And by the way, let me just tell my Democratic friends, those are good hearts. This ideology that I'm talking about is not our friends. They are not our friends. It's, yeah, they're, they're against all of us. And we have to, they, they use good hearts, they have behind good hearts to, to, to bring about bad, bad policies. So, so just know, those who love our nation, those who want our kids to, to grow up and without debt, with a great future ahead of them, with a, an idea of looking at each other inside out, not outside in, this is our time to see contrast, to see that we don't want what the left, the hard left has given us, and come back and start voting for the values we believe in. Uh, so so that's, that's, that's the beginning. And the other part of it is that we brought 15 new congressmen on, on board, congressmen and congresswomen. I have never been more impressed with a team of people that truly believe in our nation. They're articulate. They're diverse, and in, 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 you know they're diverse in our in our exterior, our, our culture, you know where we came from. But we're we're very much on the same page in terms of our love for our country, and um, and we're gonna we're gonna hold the line for the next two years. 
get back the house and build build on this foundation we have now so that the things that they're trying to do right now we can we can either turn around or uh, or put in place a, a better policies to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to to truly live the American dream keep our rights and begin to see each other the way we should not not at the as a, as a uh, the divisive nature that the left has us going in, but in a much different way. That what we have together, we can we can truly come together and and make some great things happen. Go ahead, Chris. Congressman, we've seen recently uh, another school another school shooting, but another mass shootings. Um, I've got a two part kind of question <laughs> for you. Um, there's a bill within the House that the Democrats are trying to drastically take away our Second Amendment rights. Um, address what the Republican plan is to try to stop that. And second, with this suiting specifically in Atlanta, um, I wrote a column for RedState.com um, where I was uh, saying that I think the Democratic Party is trying to focus their targets of victimization on the Asian community. They've already conquered the black community, Hispanic community, LGBTQ. They've turned all of them into victims. And now that you see the Asian community, which is productive, you know, self-reliant, um, they seem to want to focus on them and make them victims. And we even saw that with the senators from uh, Hawaii and Illinois, yeah. the Asian senators, who were threatening to uphold to stop Joe Biden's appointees to the Senate unless there were more Asian American Pacific Islanders um, represented. Uh, yeah. Give me your thoughts on those two issues, please. You nailed it. Uh, I understand what uh, what the hard left does. Uh, this is this is their this is who they are. It's the DNA. They want to bring chaos. It's never about bringing us together. It's never about bringing solutions. It's about bringing divisiveness, anger, hatred, and chaos. And so, so what what uh, what has happened is you have the Asian community, and there's another there's a other community I want to give some some real good kudos to the Nigerian community. Uh, yes. They, 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 I mean, these are folks that come to this country, and because they have such a strong family unit, their family is about their name. They want to they want to be proud of uh, who they are. They want to make sure their mom and dad are proud of who they are, and so they come. And they work hard. They they get the education. They don't get so much into politics. They get into business ownership. They get into self empowerment. And we've seen this with the Asian community. We've seen this with the Nigerian community. And, and and because of that, they are a threat to the left. In other words, as long as you're showing what it what it takes to succeed in this country. And by the way, what the, what's happening in the Asian community is the same kind of community I grew up in in the '60s, the black community. We were we were we represented. We now see the respect we have for the Asians and others like them. That was the black community in the 1960s because we will, you know, we will lead the charge in all these, these, uh, uh, all these metrics that talk about success, education, entrepreneurship, family, faith. That's who we are. So personally, I don't think it's going to work. Uh, Asian communities, first of all, they, they, don't, uh, they don't see their, their end game in, in, in terms of politics or athletics. They see it in hard work. Education, critical thinking, and family—they they, they, they still they understand that. So I don't think what they're trying to do, the left right now, bring bring this a new divisive area into this into this conversation is going to work for them because they already understand what the American dream is, and they don't want it to be taken away from them. <clears throat> Just as the other communities, black, um, the the uh, the gay community, the Hispanic community, we are now waking up also because of of the shadow of, of the Trump era. We now understand what policies can do to to make sure that we can live the American dream. It's not about our color. We're finally realizing that if, you, if politicians keep their word, give us an opportunity to start our businesses, put our kids in great schools, let us keep let, let us keep our money and don't put us in debt, 
uh, and give us safety, then anybody can succeed. And so with that knowledge, it's, it's going to be impossible for them to put the genie back in the bottle again, even though they're going to try. Uh, so just know, again, when I talked about earlier, my faith in the American people is we see contrast, and we're going to come together and truly start talking across uh, a different, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle we're on. We're going to start talking and get solutions in place, and we're going to do, we're going to do a really good job in, in pulling us back in 2022. Hey, Tony, one, one yeah, follow-up. You know, yeah. Congressman, one thing I find really ironic is, you know, they're trying to paint the Asians as, as hate crimes being perpetrated against them, and, and those are on the rise. But the liberals are silent when they talk about Yale and Harvard and all the Ivy League schools <laughs> that are discriminated against Asians because their test scores are so high that they won't let them in. Yeah. They're quiet about that discrimination. What, what a great point. What a great point to make. Uh, isn't that interesting that Harvard-Yale actually look at the Asian community and they, they will not let them in because they're doing too well? They, they, they raise the bar instead of saying, well, what are they doing to keep this bar so high and let's make sure everybody can achieve that? What, what the, these, 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 these colleges want to do is lower, it, lower the bar, make sure people come in and can be indoctrinated in their direct direction. One thing about the Asian community, I'm just going to, I want to pass on and say one other thing about this, um, um, uh, the, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the hate things that's going on right now or the attacks. Uh, one thing about the Asian community is that they're going to come out of these colleges being conservative. Because they go in conservative, understand the, the process, they get their degrees, and they come out conservative. That is I a hope big threat. So. That's a big threat to the left. The other part of it is they did a study in, uh, in, in California of the 300 uh, crimes uh, uh, over the last couple of years against Asians. 85% of them were black. Well, were the, the, the perpetrators were black. In the white communities, uh, uh, 80, 83% of white against white is, is, uh, is, is against white Americans are uh, perpetrated by white Americans. In the black community, 93% against black uh, uh, victims are black perpetrators. So, so there's there's a problem here, and I think we have to dig deeper than the color. Let's look at what is happening in the family. What's happening with, with people coming out of this? This uh, as they grow up, are they being given the opportunity to understand what it is to respect God, country, family, respect for women, authority? Are they doing that, or are we going through a a redoc and and that indoctrination of taking away God, taking away capitalism, taking away the family unit, which is what the left does? And the result of that is going to have a lot more people angry, uh, doing things that are just not good against other people because they don't have any hope. And they have no guidance of understanding that if you do wrong things, bad things will happen to you, and, and vice versa. If you do right things, you will be blessed by it. And those things we have to be that are being taught in the family unit. And right now, the the black families, of course, is, is having a hard time with that, based on the policies put together for, for the last the last few decades. You're talking to United States Congressman Burgess Owens. Burgess, we here in St. Louis are going through a, um, a campaign for a new mayor of our city. The current mayor is not running for re-election, so we are going to have a new mayor and uh, the two candidates running. Um, much like it has been on a national level, it seems like every issue boils down to race. It feels like that is the focus of the, the Biden presidency and Democrats in Washington. It's just every topic, every issue uh, uh, somehow gets brought back to race. And we talked about this. Chris and I have, have talked about this uh, throughout the show today, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Uh, even even down to things like the filibuster and the debate about the filibuster currently happening uh, there uh, with you in Washington, D.C., um, 
many on the left have tried to label the filibuster as being racist itself. Just the act of the filibuster (laughs) is racist to the point where Al Sharpton, and this is what I want to get your thoughts on, uh, Al Sharpton this week in an interview with Politico just outright said it, that they want to get rid of the filibuster so bad that they are going to continue to uh, push the idea that the filibuster is is racist, and and he said that uh, they their plan is to apply that pressure to Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, the two Democrats that have said that they are not going to vote with the rest of the Democrats and get rid of it, and basically label this is his words. We are going to label Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema as supporting racism if they don't change their mind. Yeah. This 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 is disgusting and disgraceful, in my opinion. What are your? It's, it's, it's disgraceful. Yeah. It's evil, uh, and I, I want uh, our, the audience out there to understand what racism is all about. Uh, we have to we have to use our put on our thinking caps. Racism is, is judging people, and um, and targeting people because of their skin color. Racism is something that I don't care who did, who is who is the perpetrator. It's evil. And it's, uh, and it's and it's and it brings nothing but detriment. Now they're right now saying this is the same the same Marxist left saying that math now is racist. Mm. I, I mean, there's no no there's no place there's no place they, these people don't see. There's no shame in this process. So please understand this. We're we're fighting right now for a country that has done the very best at allowing anyone to succeed. And you look across the landscape, you see uh, Sharp, and you see all these. You see the, the vice president now. No, where, where else in the world, in the world have, have, have people had the opportunity to, to pursue, pursue their dreams and to have the voices they have? Even the voices are far left, unfortunately, sometimes. But it's still their voices they have a chance to do that. So I would suggest this. Uh, re- let's remember who we are. Uh, let's remember, again, the contrast. Do you feel better when people are trying to divide us, or do you feel better when, when we're uniting behind things that we all believe in, the flag, a team, uh, God? Mm-hmm. Those, those things that bring us together, that we begin to see each other inside out, not outside in. If we feel better doing that, let's make sure we're aware of those feelings and vote against anyone who has you thinking angry, angry thoughts, uh, getting down on our country, getting down on other people, becoming racist. If that happens, we have to be aware and just vote against them. That's why I say I believe in American people. I think 2022 will be a, a, a mandate in terms of what the, what the left has been trying to do. It will not get away with it, and we're seeing it now. And we have these conversations, and uh, let's be proud of who we are. And let's not let the racists, uh, uh, mm. uh, you know, get, make us cowards and, and, and make us uh, cower to, to, to what they're trying to get done. Amen. Just a few minutes left here with Super Bowl champion, best-selling author, and United States Congressman Burgess Owens. Uh, let's try to get a few more in. Chris, go ahead. Congressman, on Thursday, the president held his long-awaited first press conference. Um, do you think that the president quieted the talk that he is in cognitive decline after uh, his performance? No. What we're seeing is a weak and a very frail um, man. Uh, and, and I think American people should be concerned about that, because uh, if, if in case what we've been saying for over a year, that he's, a, he's an empty shell, then the question is, who is running our government? Who's running the executive branch? Uh, I, I have a theory, first of all, because I do understand how the left works. They're cowards. They, they like to hide behind whatever they like to hide behind. This is what they do. They, they hide. So they're, 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 they can be emboldened. To, to put together policies that literally will destroy our country, destroy families, destroy opportunities, jobs, because they will not be held personally accountable 
uh, Biden will be held personal accountable because he is in that position. But but I think Americans need to need to listen to the the promises he's made before, see the divisiveness he has right now. The fact is, we have a border. And I'll say this real quickly: we have a border right now that has been overrun by people who have been drawn here with promises that are not that are not true. Uh, and and, and, and it, for those, by the way, who's ever used the word reparation, never, ever use that word again, because we're seeing we don't have to look back 200 years ago. We can now look at what human trafficking looks like today. There are young boys and girls coming through. There are women. There was a, a Huffington Post came out with a, a, a report a couple of years ago that 80 percent of the women and girls are going to be raped coming through this process. Now, understand, these are, these are people, these are good people looking for their dreams, but we're putting them in a position of being around evil, folks who will take advantage of them, they will sell their bodies, sell, and again, as young as six or seven years old, these, these young, young, young children are being put into sex trafficking. And we have a, a government that closed their eyes to that. There's, no, there's nothing more worse than seeing that, and it's the same thing that happened back in the 1800s. So let's not close our eyes. As Americans, we need to stand against this idea of open borders, uh, make sure that we have the people are protected, those who, who, who are given this idea, this, this, this false hope. And by the way, one other thing, just imagine the mothers and fathers who love their children, send them north because of these promises, will never, ever see them again. And when they start looking another couple of years from now, they'll know, never know where they are because they're not even tracking the children that's coming in. They don't have to, children coming in don't have to be with their parents. They just come in, they just let them into the country. Um, and by the way, the other thing is COVID has also been released into our country. Anyone who's listening right now that cares about our country, our nation, our fellow citizens need to be really up, up in arms at what's happening at the border. And that represents a heart, the heart of the Biden administration. It is heartless. And we need to understand that this is what's going to be portrayed through all the policies they have. What's happening at the border today is what's going to happen and everything else business ownership, uh, uh, health care, everything that we're going to see is, is kind of been, it's been implemented uh, at the end, again, you see at the board at, uh, at, at this particular point. Congressman, what does it tell you that uh, an administration that claims to be uh, transparent and call for unity when they close the uh, when they put a media blackout at the border? Uh, yeah. What are they hiding and what message does that tell you? Uh, back when I was a kid, uh, uh, we, we we had a term: the, the the boy who called who cried wolf, and that's what happens when this idea was very simply: if you do not if you're not honest, and you continue to lie, people are going to start looking at you as a liar and do not trust the word you say. Uh, I think what's happening right now with the Biden administration: they've been given a lot of promises, and as the truth starts to come out, that they're not keeping any of them, that it's all about power. Uh, you know, for most of us, for American people, Democrats and independents, our words, the three most important words for us is we the people. We want freedom, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. On the other side is power, labor, and um, uh, was it power, labor, and lawyers. <laughs> Those are the three words that drive the, the, the Democratic left. They can care less about we the people. So know that's the, that's the contrast we're looking at. People will start to see them real time. Oh, by the way, keep in mind, as you guys see your – Gas, uh, uh, your, 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 your gas bill is going up. I used to be able to spend $38 to fill up my, my, my car. Now, I just, just the other day, it was $67. Now, that's mm. something that hits all of us. We start to realize if it hits us like that, that's a tax. It impacts everything we do, every decision we, we make to get up every single day to go to work or, or go vacation or whatever. So just know it, it's going to be hitting our pockets big time, and this is just another area in which the Biden administration is going to be failing the American people. 
That is United States Congressman Burgess Owens. Burgess, it is always great to talk with you. We've gone super long. We always appreciate the time that you give us. Uh, Hope to have you back on real soon. In the meantime, if people want to keep up with you and what you are working on uh, in the United States Congress, what are the best uh, places to do so, websites, all that good stuff? The best best place is uh, is just go to BurgessForUtah.com. BurgessForUtah.com, and, uh, and all of my information is there. You can, you can look out for everything else that you may want to reach out to me, including uh, in, the, in the House, in the, in the Congress. And thank and, you again, guys. I really appreciate back. this time we spend together. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. And, and early notice, Burgess will be in St. Louis in October? Yes. Yes. What, what's that? What was that? <laughs> I said you will be in October oh, for right. the St. Louis County uh, Lincoln Day Banquet, so want a little early uh Early notice of that to yes. the audience. Okay. Yeah, this fall. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up. We'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that, guys, for sure. All right. Yeah, talk to your people and, and, yeah. uh, and make sure that's yeah, on booked. the schedule. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Burgess, hey. it is always great to hear your voice. Can't wait to talk to you again soon, my friend. Chris and Tony, thank you, my friends. Thank you. You All bet. Best. All Bye-bye. right. Got to take another quick break. And if there's any more time left, we'll do a little more weekend report when we get back. 97.1 FM Talk. I'm going to get ready to start that clock. Mm-hmm. Your video's not on, so it doesn't matter, Chris. I know. All right. I'm sure you're doing it anyway. Yo, welcome back to the Weekend Report. 97.1 FM Talk. Big thanks again to Congressman Burgess Owens for joining us in that last segment. If you missed anything on today's show, we started with Kevin Wheeler from KMOX Sports talking about the new Cardinal season and the tragic passing of Bobby Plager. And uh, we ended the show there essentially with uh, the new congressman from the state of Utah, our friend Burgess Owens, and talked a lot of uh, talked about a lot of to- topics Uh, in between the two things. So if you missed anything, download our podcast. Chris, we are almost out of time because we went so long with Burgess. I I did want to ask you real quick this one question. Do you agree with the congressman that um, that what the Democrats are doing in Washington and the momentum that was already built up from this last election, at least on the side of the United States House, not necessarily obviously the presidency and the Senate, but the House uh, you know, picking up seats with Republicans. Do you feel like there will be a uh, a shift in power at the midterm that the uh, congressman was predicting? You know, it's hard to predict this far out, Tony, but history tells us that whenever there is a first-term president, um, his party always loses seats in the House. Um, that's how it is almost every cycle. So it looks like the Democrats have a very tenuous hold on the Congress and the Senate. And I think that's the reason why they're trying to jam these ridiculously large social welfare program um, legislation through the House so quickly and through the Congress so quickly is because they know they have a very limited time. And if they can get more people reliant on the government for their income, they know that they will have a better chance at keeping or maybe taking some of those votes away. Unfortunately, that and along with illegal voters and they will be in power forever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's I think I mean, that's that seems to be the plan that uh, does seem to be the plan. Unfortunately, we are out of time on this week's show. Uh, Once again, download the podcast. You can get the Weekend Report podcast anywhere you get podcasts. But I recommend the radio dot com app as being the best place 
to get the podcast for the weekend report. Don't forget to check out Chris on redstate.com and uh, on uh, News Wake Up America. Yeah, Newsmax Television every Wednesday morning on Wake Up America. And make sure you come back here each and every weekend to join us on the show. Big thanks again to producer Jake for filling in once again for Frank. Very well. And uh, for Chris Arps, I'm Tony Colombo. Thank you so much for listening to the Weekend Report. We'll see you back here next weekend on 97.1 FM Talk. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.